Welcome to The Wave, where we discuss the wave of AI adoption as it happens with some of the industry's leading experts. Like, subscribe, and share to join the discussion about the future of AI. Joel, what is up, man? I am really excited to talk today about AI use cases that are kind of ready to go and those that are still science fiction and maybe are many years away. And there's been a lot of talk over the past few weeks and a lot of things happening in the AI world from uh, open AI uh, news to Elon Musk talking out about GPT and starting his own company and all kinds of talks in, um, in, in I guess, the world from a legislation standpoint, from a governmental standpoint. And there's just a lot to talk about. So I'm excited today to unpack this with you on another episode of The Wave. Well, hi, Patrick. And I same here. I'm really, really excited. Uh, you know how passionate I am about these topics. We could probably spend the whole time just go over the news. So yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no one can, can keep up. And, you know, what is all the hype? Why is there such hype around it? I, I, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, I, I think hype is an interesting, first off, it's an interesting word because you're right. It's, we are very hyped about AI. Um, my inclination about why and where the hype is coming from is just because this is the next new thing, right? Like the new thing of perhaps a prior generation was the World Wide Web. And more recently, it was the advent and just mass market of handhelds and, you know, everything, internet of everything, right? And AI is that next thing. So we're all excited to be kind of on the cutting edge at the cusp of this next new thing. So that's my inclination. But, you know, what do you think? Where's the hype coming from? And what does it all mean for us? I think that the hype is coming from a very ancient um, way that uh, the human brain works. It comes from the fact that we want to believe certain things that are going to be a positive, having a positive impact on our lives. Um, so if somebody says that uh, you can drink this uh, water and it's going to make you live forever, uh, you want to believe until you're being proven that it's not the case. And I think that with AI, we're going a little bit through that, where we're having enough technological advancement such that there is enough information that will uh, make us dream. We all love to dream about what's coming next and what the implication uh, of a new technology can be. And so until there is enough um, information, I, I want to be careful in not saying education, because although there's a lot of education that needs to happen every time there's a new technology, it's, I, I, I want to acknowledge that a lot of the, the population that is creating this, this hype are a population of uh, extremely well-educated 
uh, high-tech professionals. So I want to be careful about the words that we choose. And it's really about, though, there's only so much that anyone can know about a certain uh, domain. And AI is so complex. So when something like uh, OpenAI, ChatGPT, DALI is being uh, deployed and made available to everybody, um, people are very impressed. And as you're really impressed with those, those, uh, those outcome, those, uh, there, there's an, a, there's a, a, a reflex. We immediately go into imagining what this could be. And so then very quickly, that population, that audience is getting separated in two groups, the groups that are informed and know exactly why something looks extremely attractive, cool, amazing, dazzling, and and the the group that continues to imagine and and dream about, and that's that's where just a small spark in terms of ad campaign, uh, advertising, marketing will will trigger a a amazing and tremendous frenzy around a new a new capability that's that's my my uh, long-winded explanation of what i why i think is happening with the hype it's a good one though it's it's in some way it's the realist and the idealist right we've got the those in the know the informed are perhaps the realists and there can be they can be idealistic as well about the potential given the information and the context that they have for where ai is and where it can go within a certain frame of time, right? And then you've got the idealist, which might be informed from science fiction, the Jetsons from one, you know, from from years and decades ago to, you know, Ex Machina, you know, and, and these different movies and, and Hollywood kind of science fiction stories where you start to see like, well, this is, we're, we're kind of skating in this direction and you kind of idealize, idealize is not a word, idealize, idealize the, um, the potential for where AI can go and how it can impact our lives, how it can change our business, how it can just change in many ways humanity. It's very idealistic, right? So it's idealistic and realistic in a way. Um, I, I do think that the the hype perpetuates itself and it also kind of bifurcates in such a way that like people can chase the hype train down idealistic ways and think about the benefits, the great things it can bring in humanity, right? In business, in your day-to-day -day life. And you can also go down and we're seeing a lot of this talk online um, and in offline circles as well around some of the negative effects of AI and what it can do on the negative side. And there's a whole slew of, of Hollywood movies to inform you about that type of uh, event, right? I mean, look at the Matrix and Terminator and all these things that are obviously um, I'm making light of, of this with some of these Hollywood you know, movie examples and stuff, but people follow the hype in whichever direction they feel is you know, maybe more likely or whatever they're more afraid of or whatever they're more excited about. And it perpetuates itself in all these different paths. I totally agree. And this is, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, how you, you mentioned that there is, there's both the excitement, there's also the fear. And yeah. I think these drivers are both just as strong. And they both are 
currently in the in the group in the population of of uh, mostly people that have either less information about the current state, but also we we have to be very very careful on how we analyze the situation because someone might say I am extremely concerned about AI, and it may not as necessarily be about next week. It may be because that person is thinking about in 50 years from now. Mm. Now, another person might say, I don't agree with your vision because I don't think there's going to be uh, such a development to meet the necessary criteria to have the type of outcome that you're fearing. But that other person might be thinking in a, in a span of five years. And so mm. there's, there's, it's such an fascinating time and such a complex problem and as we go through today's discussion uh, I, I, I want to put that disclaimer that uh, depending on what we're talking about the time frame the scale uh, there might be different answers uh, and I, I, I for one really want to be careful into what is going to be happening in the future and for example we've seen that in the past with the internet where we saw at first tremendous limitations if we hear some of the predictions and what what uh, some uh, really you know visionary folks have have said at the beginning of the internet era a lot of people would not agree or what would would not believe that this was possible and fast forward 25 years uh, it is possible and there are some amazing and and unbelievable development that we didn't think about no one probably thought about the effect of social media uh, on society some people did but most didn't so I I want to preface uh, you know pre uh, put a, um, uh, a bit of a asterisk around everything that we, we talk about today where there is, uh, there is a lot that we cannot plan that will evolve and that may, may have results that we don't anticipate. So uh, I'd, I'd love to, to unpack that a little bit in the context of what we want to talk about today. Yeah, that, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It's all, always about defining your terms because... Um, we can be saying the same things, but with different context for what those terms mean. Like what you just said, Joel, about the time frame. You know, I might be thinking five years, you might be thinking 50. Or we might, one person may be thinking AI and they're thinking, you know, um, complete like AGI, right? Like yeah. something that's so <clears throat> far down the path from, from being possible for a slew of reasons where, you know, you may be thinking, um, you know, a, a, an automated self-contained unit set to do one specific thing within the confines of a bunch of other units or, or, or um, automated devices or programs and software within a business, right? There, there are so many different ways that AI, artificial intelligence can be developed and deployed that unless we define our terms, we're just saying words that can be taken out of context and misconstrued in a hundred different ways. You know, I, I, I love watching magic shows. I, I find it fascinating. The, 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 uh, 
the skill level of magicians is amazing. And every time I, I watch a magic show, and I think most people do that too, you try to see how did he do that, right? But but then in the end, it does look like magic. And I think that what we're seeing, un, un, until you understand how it was done, our brain cannot really comprehend what just happened in front of you. You get tricked, right? That's what we call a magic trick. And I think with AI, we have a very similar situation where unless you know what the trick is to perform certain action, it certainly looks like magic. And so yeah. um, that, that's, that's one of the reasons why unless you know how it's done, it's very hard to believe that it's not magic. I love the way you, you framed that. Like it's it's a magic trick until you know kind of how it works. And I'm not going to, you know, proclaim to understand how mobile phones work and, you know, 5G and how, you know, all this stuff works. I have a basic understanding that there are, you know, chips inside of it with receivers and with signals that, you know, communicate with, right, like satellites and they communicate with antennas and, you know, there's fiber under the sea. Like I understand at the very basic level how these things work, but it still is amazing to me that I can pick up my phone here in the States and I can communicate with somebody near instantaneously across the globe. I mean, it is instant, right? Across the globe from these two little things that are the size of an index card. That's amazing to me. It is magic, even with a base understanding. So the point I'm trying to get to is I suppose when we think about AI, whether it's chat GPT or whether it's, um, you know, some of these use cases that we're going to talk about that are you know maybe not quite ready yet. Um, it's magic until somebody realizes these are just models programmed to understand data, compute the data and produce an output. And there's nuance to that. Of course, there's nuance where, you know, it can ingest data, it can calculate near instantaneously possible solutions or, or, or ways to process that data. And it kind of has a, a tree of, of possible outcomes. And if it doesn't have an outcome, it understands how do I create an outcome based on what this data is in, asking me to do and what my you know, objective is, and then it executes on that. That's magic. It's magic unless you understand every one of those, you know, hundreds or thousands of steps that it's computing near instantaneously. And um, I think that also is part of the reason that we, you know, back to your point um, before, uh, that, that's why we get kind of caught up in this hype train. Yeah. That's why we think, well, I don't fully understand it. So I'm going to try and, you know, create these, these worlds, these ideas to, put this idea in a box that I understand. Yep. How do we understand things? We understand things based on what we see in the past, what we've experienced, whether it's through similar technological advancements or whether it's through what we read in a science fiction book or that movie that we saw on HBO last weekend, right? And we then perpetuate it based on these stories that we tell ourselves. And next thing you know, we've got people who are deathly afraid of AI or people that are all in on AI and just really can't wait to see what's next. Absolutely. I, I want to say one more thing about the magic trick, because I, I really like the way you uh, you make the, the comparison with the cell phone and, and everyone's perception uh, of, of what seems to be magic. 
when we go back to a magic trick, if the magician makes a card disappear, I may know. I may know enough to know that uh, it didn't really disappear, that there is, a, there is a, a very skilled maneuver to make it look like it disappeared. But I may think that that magician is so good that it can make a book disappear. But there are some size limitations here. And, <laughs> and so, so with AI, it's very similar. How, how would you know? It, you can know as a human that a card is different than a book. But if, it, if it's about something that is so abstract, such as AI models and data that, that, that is, is used to train these models, how would you know the difference between a card and a book? <laughs> it's a really, really good point. I mean, how would you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as we talk about use cases, right, I think it's important to understand all of the level of nuances. It's never, mm -hmm. it's never binary. If it were binary, it's easy to convince somebody of, of uh, or, or to inform someone of a fact. But because there are nuances, it, it makes it a lot a lot harder. So, with with AI, um, if we before we talk about use cases, it's very important to understand how AI models work. And there are different types of model, and there are different types of algorithm and types of algorithms. And some of them require what we call uh, uh, unsupervised learning, and some of them are supervised learning. So, what does that mean? Well, it means that if it's uh, an algorithm that is, had, is a model that is, requires supervised learning, it means every single piece of data, as small or as big as it is, needs to be labeled. You need to tell, you need to, you need to manually or in an automated fashion, but you need to physically assign a label to every piece of data, right? So that, that's how you can train a model. Now, the outcome is going to be extremely impressive there's no magic into labeling every single piece of data. And so that's a majority of the AI models are supervised models. And then the unsupervised model is the case where you can, for example, know what are the attributes of an element. So the size, the weight, the color, and based on that, the model will be able to make uh, decisions uh, without, without having seen the data before. It will say, yeah, I know what the height is. So that goes mm -hmm. in the group of, uh, of, of uh, smaller than, than you know, five foot. And so, so this, is, this is where we can have certain techniques such as classification, Right? Classification means you have a data that comes in the model and you decide what, where does it fit. Or you have clustering. You can say, I'm gonna, I, I don't know exactly what the data is or I don't understand all the nuances, but I can group certain similar attributes. And these are very simple concepts. But of course, because of the amount of data that you can throw at these models, um, you can you can create the illusion of magic, uh, and 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 at some point it becomes truly amazingly powerful. And this is what we're seeing with the large language models and ChatGPT is because the amount of data and parameters of applying basic 
very complex but simple and well-defined concepts uh, look like there is true intelligence behind these models. And in fact, the reality is that there's, there's no intelligence. It's very powerful, very impressive. But all it is is the ability for a mathematical module and calculation to know based on all of the sentences and language information that's out there in the internet that these models will predict what the next word is. That's it. I feel like in such a way you just you just explained how David Blaine is doing his magic trick right there, right? He's <laughs> you know that that's what that's what these large language models are doing is they're ingesting data that has been labeled meticulously in some fashion and then using calculations for lack of a better way to describe it to understand what the most likely and the most well-fitting follow-up or, or response would be to that, that input, right? It's really yeah. interesting. And so, uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. So just, just one more, more thing on this. If you, if you have uh, to, to illustrate the effect of the amount of data and, and also the fact that if you only have one model versus several models that can be combined, and if you look at the way humans uh, learn, you can quickly see that um, I know what it is to learn a foreign language. Okay? And when you learn a foreign language, at first, you start by knowing how to translate five words. Can you have a conversation? No. Well, you can say hi and bye, at least. So that doesn't look like a magic trick, does it? Um, so, <laughs> so then you start learning a lot more. And eventually, you can have a conversation. Now, in order to have that conversation, you need to have a lot of information. You need to know a lot of words. You need to have a lot of context. You need to know emotion. You need to, so, so the point I'm trying to make is that the more information you have and the more sophisticated the output becomes. Um, but there's not just one model that is going to be used for this. If you take, again, the, the example of learning a language, you cannot learn a language by simply knowing how to translate word for word. You need to have a lot more information. You need to be able to put these words together. You need to be able to know what is appropriate to say, what is not appropriate. You need to know what's appropriate in certain contexts. So think of this as all different models. And now when it becomes truly magic, because it is magic that humans can communicate the way, the way we can, um, that takes a pretty big complex system as the as in the human brain and human body to be able to to accomplish so here i just painted the spectrum of very simple basic and unimpressive outcome to amazing and absolutely unbelievable outcome now where is where are we technologically on that spectrum that's that's the big question that is being uh, discussed now well, that, that, that's a, a perfect, I think, segue from speaking about the, you know, the, the where we are and the kind of how things work, the magic behind AI into talking about what are some of these AI use cases that are ready to go and which ones are way far down the line. So uh, 
as, as you know, by now, I like to always define our terminology as best as we can. So let's first start with when we say use cases, what does that term mean in the context of our conversation today? So to me, the way I define use case is, uh, is simply a, a, a set of capabilities, uh, of technical capabilities that will solve the problem. So, for example, a use case being um, creating a report based on the latest news on the Internet, that's a use case. It takes capabilities, features, a product, a system, and then it takes a problem, which is I want to create a report based on the news of the Internet. And you put that together and that forms a use case, which is different than a business case. Um, and, I, and maybe it's interesting, it's important to uh, to put that into context, a, a business case is simply, is there a business, a viable economical uh, reason to perform that use case? Not every use case is a viable business case. It's a really interesting point. You know, business, a business use case requires, we'll call it ROI, right? That's the easiest way of maybe for us to frame this, like, is it going to impact the business in a positive manner? And is it going to be done in such a way that um, either makes more money or saves money, right? And is maybe a big enough opportunity at scale to solve a business or open up new doors, right? Solve, solve a business problem rather, or open up new opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. So a couple use cases that come to mind for, for me, from my perspective that are, are ready to go, ready for prime time. I love how you just mentioned um, like analysis and report based on current data. That is something that we are all thinking about day in, day out. That's something that uh, people are utilizing ChatGPT to do with limited to, not, we'll, we'll say they're using ChatGPT to do that with varying degrees of success based on probably the nuance, the difficulty, and the recency of the information, the request that it's looking for. Um, but we all know with ChatGPT being a large language model, it is not immune to hallucination. It's not immune to falsifying data, whether you know it's on purpose or if it's happening because of a glitch or because of ingesting incorrect information in the first place. That is something that we are all you know, cognizant of. Now, contrast that with other products out there, and, and you know, I will talk about Charlie AI here, which you know, we don't typically do, but that is, that's a very far difference, uh, very differentiated, Charlie is, from the chat GPTs of the world in how it does its analysis and how it does its research. And I would absolutely say that report writing analysis based on uh, current information and current data, whether it's public on the internet or private in private enterprise databases and such, that is a use case that's ready to ready to go right now, right? And that's something that will continue to evolve over time. I, I'm interested to hear kind of your perspective on that, being uh, you know being the expert in the room here. Yeah, it, it is definitely ready to go uh, that that use case. And now, the what makes this use case ready to go is the the breakthrough in in natural language generation, which is leveraging large language models. Because 
if you don't have this capability, then it becomes extremely hard and extremely complex to actually generate that out output report. Now, in order to create an, a report that is worthy of an financial services analyst, uh, there is a need to be a certain level of accuracy and uh, also a, a, a being real-time, being able to take information that is available, uh, that has been maybe released only a few minutes ago, and that, that the AI solution is able to take that information and include it into the, the report generation. Now, why, why is it that ChatGPT doesn't do that? Why is it that a powerful a, a, uh, a company like OpenAI that has very, very deep pocket and very healthy funding, why is it that they can't do that? Well, it's a, it's a choice. There are some limitations with technology. It takes them weeks, uh, if not months, depending on if we're talking about ChatGPT 3, 3.5, 4. Uh, depending on which one we're talking about, it takes a long time to make, to put it simple, to train the model with the data as, as an input. And, and the, once it's pre-trained, you can have a pretty fast answer. So what's really amazing with ChatGPT is you can ask a question and you can see the answer forming right in front of your eyes. Now, AI is still at the point where, so, so by the way, 10 years ago, it would have been almost impossible with the compute power that we had 10 years ago to train the number of parameters that is, have been trained in ChatGPT. So it, it's, it's pretty crazy to think about this, right? I'm not talking about 50 years ago. I'm talking about 10 years ago. Maybe even five years ago, it, was, it, it would have taken uh, an order of magnitude longer to, to train the models. Um, so, so with keeping that in mind, now there's uh, there's there's the uh, why why ChatGPT doesn't want to take real-time data is because it's not as impressive because it takes time to compute. So you need to have the pre-trained models to know how to understand text information language, how to understand what is the important part of that information, what is what is real, what is not real, and then to put that into um, a, a report. So Charlie AI is taking a different approach, not of dazzling the uh, initial, you can just ask a question, give me a report, and you get it in five seconds. Now, it's going to take a bit longer. It takes typically a few minutes to get a report. So not as, not as impressive in terms of user interaction, but so much more valuable because now it's going to take the real-time data, it's going to take the pre-trained information, it's going to recalculate the outputs real-time based on that information, it's going to, in a real-time, create the output uh, report, and, 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 and it's going to fact-check to make sure that everything that is in that report is accurate based on the data that was provided and, and not and not let through any of these hallucination of, oh, I thought you meant this because I was being trained on this set of you know, millions of people that said certain things and I just picked one. Um, so so this is this is the big difference. What a phenomenal way to describe that. I think the, the, the point I want to kind of pick on right there, um, and then we'll move on to another use case, is the fact checking. That is 
mirroring what a, in, in the example that you provided, that's mirroring what an analyst would do. An analyst will ingest data. It will, you know, they will um, obviously analyze said data. They will then create, uh, we'll call it a hypothesis or a theory, and then they will fact check against that before providing a final response. ChatGPT, in its effort to dazzle and create a very quick response, simply cannot do that for a variety of reasons we won't go into, you know, not least of which that it doesn't have full access without plugins to the internet. So it cannot fact check. It can only create a response based on its input data and its training data, as you just described. And what a phenomenal differentiator from a from from a product standpoint and then from a usage standpoint from the the businesses the people that would be using this product i think that's something extremely important that as we look at ai for business and as we look at ai for anything that fact checking is going to have to continue to be of utmost importance and the the models will have to continue to improve as will the compute power as will the data in order to allow for that. Yeah, and I, I I like to make analogies about the difference of certain AI solutions. And I, in the past, I've used an analogy of the kitchen appliance versus the industri industrial machinery. Um, I'm going to use a different analogy today to uh, to try to to paraphrase what we just talked about, and that is, ChatGPT would be a PlayStation. And Charlie AI is a flight simulator, a proper flight simulator that actual pilots are being trained on. And and the the difference there is, uh, if you and I go, I mean, I I don't want to assume. I I don't know if you're a pilot or not, but I'm not. If I go I'm into not. a flight simulator, I'm not going to be able to have a lot of uh, a lot of luck and a lot of fun, right? Because probably, first of all, I'll crash the plane uh, uh, before I can even take off. But uh, I won't have a lot of fun. Whereas when I go on a PlayStation, uh, I can immediately have fun because there's guardrails. And, and so this is the difference between ChatGPT and Charlie AI. Really interesting way to put that. Um, perhaps we'll put a pin in that because I'd like to talk about that at some point, uh, not in today's episode. But let's pin that. And I'm going to make a note about this to, to return. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about other use cases for AI. Um, some common ones that are coming to mind for me right now are things like customer service, live chat, um, outside of business, we're thinking about things like autonomous vehicles. Um, what other use cases are just ready to go? And by ready to go, we can define that as we're seeing it right now and it's being rapidly improved upon to maybe within the next year, we'll start seeing more and more of this being put to the test in the real world. Yeah, so I, I mean, let's let's talk about the two that you, you brought up, uh, customer service and uh, self-driving cars. Let's, I'll, I'll jump into self-driving cars. I think everybody knows about that use case. Uh, a lot of people have experienced it. And uh, so what what is it, really from an AI perspective that is being used and how, how does it work into a self-driving car and what are the limitations? Well, we, we know by now uh, quite well that limitations are 
the ability of the car to detect what environment it's in. Uh, so if all of a sudden there is a lot of fog or, or, or snow and you can't see the lines and can't, can't determine where the road is, that, that is definitely major, major limitations. But also what the car does, it uses uh, GPS coordinates, right? And so it looks at what road you're on and it, it knows where you want to go and so a lot of that part of the self-driving car is not actually AI. It's it's a rule based of this is the the AI is to to detect the boundaries and the context. But then there's a very simple algorithm that says stay between the lines. That's it. So if you go too close to that line, turn the the wheel that way. If you go too close to that line, turn the wheel that way. And that 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 is not. Um, again, part of that perception, there's not a an AI um, a system in the car that is mimicking what the human does. There's just AI modules that are providing the right information, and there is a sophisticated software and sensor system that makes the car react based on on the detection. For example, you know the AI will detect an obstacle. And then it will trigger a, a, a braking, slowing down, or whatever the case may be, mechanism. So all that is extremely sophisticated. But if you break it down, it's, uh, it's extremely deterministic into what, what the, uh, the car does. So until you get a much more sophisticated AI uh, capability at its core, there's always going to be a need for human supervision. So it's ready to go but it needs human supervision. The same applies to customer support, where if the question is, where can I find this information? How do I turn this, uh, this, this product, this, this device on? How do I upgrade the software on my cell phone? These are all answers that are known we just the the user the customer simply doesn't know where to go find it and so ai from that perspective can can do natural language processing it can understand the request it can classify into what that request where it belongs and it can trigger a simple workflow to say here you go mr customer this is the answer you were looking for and and large language models uh, uh and and chat gpt like applications are taking these app, these use cases to a whole new level because when it seemed to be a little bit robotic in the past it worked it was useful already but very robotic very scripted now it's going to become extremely difficult to make the difference between are, am i talking to a human is that company that good that they're able to have a human answer to me in real time on where can i find the information about this data sheet or or is it uh, is it ai and that i think this is what's exciting to me is that right now these use cases they're really ready for prime time but they're still going to require a handoff to a human and human supervision. Why? Because the the biggest part of customer success is the emotion, right? We all we all have stories of uh, uh, customer success and, and and customer support success stories where somebody helped us in a way that was extremely tailored to us. 
Uh, I was never impressed by somebody that gave me a textbook answer. I was always impressed by someone that understood my my mindset, my frame of mind, my needs, and that uh, gave me what at least perceived to me was a tailored uh, answer. So those those are two good examples where it's good to go. It's amazing if you look at what how we were solving these problems um, 25 years ago and how we can solve them now. It's absolutely unbelievable, and and that is only the beginning for these type of use cases. So that's where I say, let's go. No no restrictions there. Some limitations. Some some um, uh, you know uh, buyer beware kind of uh, sure. uh, warnings, but uh, extreme value that can be generated. I love the example that you provided of. Um, you know, in, in customer service or support, there's that human handoff where necessary for the human element, you know, the the emotional element and kind of a computer, right? A, a, an AI can provide very specific and precise information instantaneously, but a human can understand the emotion, the emotion and the motive behind the request and be able to act perhaps more empathetically and, you know, more, um, I'll say more softly, right? Like they'll be able to use the soft skills in a different capacity than an AI can use. But there will be a time if we all yep. believe in movies like her and, and we, we think about science fiction in that way where empathy can be, we'll say, learned, right? From yep. a, or, or taught to an AI algorithm or, you know, kind of process, Absolutely, I, and I think that this this time is not too too distant as long as we talk about specific use cases. There's a difference between having empathy on a customer service call or empathy by a friend or a colleague, uh, and so that the friend or colleague situation I think we're pretty far from. But the uh, customer success, customer service. Uh, empathy. I think that uh, it's a matter of uh, sophistication of the solutions as well as the amount of data, and and both both these are are exponentially improving and increasing as we speak. So we'll get there pretty quick. Especially when we consider what we spoke about on our last episode, which was your and Kevin's conversation about building an AI business, and the one prior to that, um, we talked about this in both episodes. The data. And as we, we'll call it capture more data and inform AI models using such data about things such as um, if, it's, if it's an automated voice call as an example or an AI driven voice call as an example, things like volume or pacing or cadence of speech might in, that might inform the model of, is this person extremely upset, angry, sad, distraught, excited, yep. and so on and so on and so on, based on the data that it's able to um, ingest, it can then understand perhaps what is the, what emotion am I receiving? And then what emotion do I output? And, and that's something that I'm very excited about. And to your point, it doesn't seem like it's that far-fetched, but the data has to be there and the compute power has to be there to be able to do anything with the data that you know, is provided to it. Yeah, and sentiment analysis is actually not complicated. I, I, again, I, I like to always uh, put the context. I am not a data scientist, but I, I, I am lucky to 
hang out quite a bit with data scientists. So, so I know a lot about perks of the what, job. Exactly. So they they tell me that sentiment analysis is really not complicated. Now, that doesn't Seems mean that to me. it does, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that you can have empathy and emotion, right? All it means is that based on information such as what a, a customer will type in a chat window, you can easily detect if the customer is uh, excited, uh, happy, angry, or disappointed. So that, that part is not, not very hard. It's what you do with that information that is hard. And that's, that's going to bring us to all the use cases that uh, we're not ready for prime time. Yeah, let's roll right into that because you know, there are so many opportunities to get excited about AI and all the places that it can go. But, um, you know, I don't want to say let's squash dreams or anything like that right now, but let's set the record straight or make it more clear about what's just not on the playing field yet. What, what are a few things that you would put there and then we'll dive in. Well, first let's talk about AGI, artificial general intelligence. Um, some some uh, uh, you know part of the current hype is uh, that uh, ChatGPT is uh, is a mini AGI, and that could not be further from the truth because as we just discussed and that we we expose on how uh, ChatGPT and large language models work, uh, there is no magic. Uh, it's extremely impressive, very powerful, but there's no magic. AGI is is closer to magic. There's still no magic, by the way, with AGI, but it it certainly is close enough that that to a human brain will look like magic. And so, in order to have AGI, there's a need for hundreds, if not thousands, of models, and all of that needs to be orchestrated, and all that information needs to be. I, we talked about the the need for labeling, the need to supervise and unsupervised learning. So now you can imagine. I'm I'm just gonna make it extremely complicated for effect. But if you if you were able to imagine a, a a gymnasium and you're able to put to stick these little um, uh, plastic balls and you think that these are models and and you think that if you want to have AGI you need to throw all these balls in that gymnasium and all of the balls need to know about each other need to be connected need to be able to have data little little you know. USB drives that that's a little bit uh, out of out of fashion now but nowadays but USB drives that have data that are connected to these little balls and all of that needs to make sense and if you ask one question if you perform certain operations it then needs to be able to interact with um, the physical world right so sensors vision smell all of that needs to be uh, achieved and so now I'll take a pause and take a deep breath and say with that crazy image that maybe you're starting to have in your in your mind, and 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 that's just a a complete hack of what AGI might look like, and then you go back into a couple of models and uh, a big server uh, drive and say that this is mini AGI. We're far from it. That one seems like magic to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So and. And so yeah, what does that mean from a more practical standpoint? Like the, the, the image that you painted there, it sounds complicated. It is complicated. And like I just said, it seems like magic, but 
What are the practical steps that need to occur in order to get even on the playing field of AGI? And if you were to guess, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you were to guess, like, how many years are we away from something like that? Um, there's not going to be a point where we say, yesterday we did not have AGI and today we have AGI. That's, that's the first thing. It's going to be a gradual evolution. And so I think that, um, uh, uh, by the way, getting to AGI is, is one of my passion. It's going to be one of my life um, pursuit. Um, and, and simply because I'm just fascinated on how, what is required for models to interact and to have continuous autonomous learning based on the environment that an AI system is being thrown in. And, and the ability for this, this uh, AI system to learn by itself and to make intelligent decision and to, uh, to put it simple, to start thinking, that, that's what AGI uh, has to be. So the, the spectrum to get there is to be able to have multiple models. So everything we talked about uh, today that are very discrete function that AI models can do, um, the ability to be orchestrated and to be able to understand the output of one module and, and the, uh, the input of the next module, uh, and then to, to be able to learn and make decisions based on that, that's, that's the road toward AGI. Now, this is a very controversial statement that I just made because there is, uh, there's two camps among experts, not among the population. Among experts, there is one camp that says, we're just going to have that one master algorithm. That's going to be the answer to the entire universe and therefore will unlock AGI. And there's the other camp that says, no, that's not possible. One size fit all is, is not going to happen. So what is required is the ability to, to have discrete, discrete elements that can interact with each other and, and then learn and grow into an AGI solution. Uh, I think I, I believe in the in the latter, uh, and I, I think that uh, the uh, the the approach of having simply all of the data and information of the universe and and to come up with one algorithm that's going to solve it all is is very unrealistic to me. Um, and so I think that getting to AGI is going to require taking very specific use cases and having the right approach in solving these use cases and and then from there being able to make decisions and, and autonomous learning on very small problems and then being able to expand from that. I would hazard to guess that we are at least 50 years away from AGI. Very interesting uh, point of education right there about the two camps within the experts community and um, something that I would love to explore further um, with experts in both sides of the camp as part of a, you know, an open dialogue. I think that would be a fantastic conversation um, because frankly, I didn't know that until you said it. I didn't realize there was kind of two camps and I'm sure there's camps within the camps of how you get there and everything like that. There's always nuance and everything, but I'd really be interesting to, interested to hear more about that conversation. I love the way that you framed it though, of, you know, AGI is something that 
you know, isn't going to be here tomorrow and it wasn't there yesterday, that kind of thing. It, I, I love the way that was framed because isn't that how everything is, right? Like chat GPT, you know, I guess chat GPT was here one day and it wasn't there the day before, but that's just publicly, right? It yeah. was, it was years and years in the making and it wasn't, you know, born on one day and put out there. It was worked on, iterated on over such a long time. Um, and that's how everything is, right? And and I think a lot of us, maybe outside of the industry or the you know that, that are not informed, they we tend to believe like things just show up one day and that's how it was without knowing all the nuance and the work on the back end. Yeah, exactly. And 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 that's that's the reason why. What are the use cases where AI is not uh, ready for? It it doesn't mean it's not ready for the use case overall. It means that there are severe limitations. So for example, if we look at, um, uh, can AI replace a doctor? No. Can AI replace a doctor in the near future? No, absolutely not. Can an AI today, an AI solution, help a doctor being more effective in their work? Absolutely. Now, ChatGPT is not the way to help doctors. Please, if your doctor is using ChatGPT to help himself, um, just look for someone else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but the, the AI uh, solution and power of AI can definitely help doctors, lawyers uh, consume more information. Doctors are always constantly reading about new publications, new ways of detecting diseases, new ways for surgeons of performing surgeries. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating how much they need to learn on an ongoing basis. Uh, it's, it's even more than, than an engineer, in, in, in my mind, because an engineer is, is doing a lot, of, performing a lot of work, and, and yeah, they need to stay up to date, but there's, there's less, it's more deterministic what an engineer needs to learn compared to a doctor that has a lot of nuances, and they need to make their own interpretation. So AI can definitely help, but uh, because of all of the the reasons we mentioned about AGI, uh, there's there's we're very far away from having the ability for AI to uh, to to replace a, a doctor or a lawyer. Um, now, in terms so, of, yeah, I was going to shift gears slightly. Um, same topic, but slightly different output. I've, I've mentioned this movie now three times, I think. This might be the third, maybe the fourth. Um, the Matrix, right? Like, we've got the advanced robots in The Matrix or in Star Wars or in all these different, you know, sci-fi films where, you know, we see these these robots, robotic, you know, machinery that can just work on themselves, take a life of its own, right? We're obviously way far away from that. But the point that you brought up about AI in medicine or in law and things like that, we are absolutely at a point where advanced robotics can help surgeons. They can help with precision engineering. They can help do things that the human hand may not be capable of doing, right? Yeah. But we are very far away from true advanced, you know, we'll call it um, intelligent advanced robotics. Um, and I'm interested to hear, like, where are, what are areas that you could see advanced robotics and AI working together in the more near future? 
And, you know, if you want to venture a, a, a statement out there of, you know, at what point do you actually see there being true advanced robotics in use for, I don't know, as far flung as the military to manufacturing to medicine? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, uh, advanced robotics is, uh, is, is a very interesting uh, sector for for sure, and the same the same limitations that we talked about with um, autonomous driving apply to robotics, and there are some extremely powerful cases today already. I mean, robots and and factories is is not something new, right? It's it's getting right. extremely uh, extremely sophisticated. But in the context of AI, these robots, they can't think. They, they don't make decisions. They just perform same task over and over again, and they have sensors, and based on the sensors, they react and, and do certain things. Now, AI can, can improve or, or can expand these use cases quite drastically, and that, that's a very, very exciting space, especially that uh, we all know in a lot of places in the world there are very severe labor shortage. Uh, we won't get into the reasons why there's a labor shortage and how that may or may not evolve in the future, uh, but the the need this is more than just a cool thing and a and a use case and a business case for advanced robotics. There's there's actually a, a, a case for helping with labor shortage that is that that is a pillar of of our economy. And if we if we have at some point the labor shortage becomes too severe, the economy will collapse. So having advanced robotics is is may actually be an extremely important part of uh, of our technology innovation. But the limitations are uh, as follow is if you have so you 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 mentioned the case of um, uh, you know, army, uh, like uh, defense, uh, the cases of uh, medicine, and there are cases of even retail or 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 things of of, of that nature. So right now there is a, there is a tremendous opportunities to deploy advanced robotics in these settings for very specific uh, use cases. It's not really a robot, but you can already having seeing the self checkout at the at the grocery store is something that uh, uh, puts that into perspective. Uh, yeah. And and uh, eventually you might have instead of you scanning, you might have an actual robot that will take things and scan it for you. And eventually that might be very very fast. So it might also be uh, you have to be careful about safety. You don't want a, a robot to move so fast that if they touch you, you'll get severely injured. But uh, or like it, we've seen at like um, I think Whole Foods. You know, after Amazon was uh, purchased Whole Foods, and they started putting in um, things like RFID tags inside of the packaging, where you just walk through a checkpoint and it swipes your card for you. Like there, there's that level, that's not robotics. So it's not a one-to-one -one comparison to what you're talking about now, but it is AI, right? It yep. is understanding the quantity, it's computing it. It's understanding, was this, is this purchase intense, right? All these different things are happening instantaneously, right? And that's, there, there is the, um, the evolution of retail in that manner. Exactly, and so, so I think that um, there's going to be a, a very, very strong parallel 
between the evolution of the AI systems that will be more and more sophisticated, that will have the ability to use more and more models that will be working together and make decisions. And based on the learnings and the environment, we'll be able to make better decisions and therefore we'll be able to apply critical thinking. And once that's evolving, you can easily transpose it into a, a robot because the robot is just the skeleton. The skeleton, right? The the ability to to have intelligence, whether it's a software solution or a physical robot, is the same thing. And so, so we'll see uh, uh, some pretty amazing uh, advances in robots because now, again, back to the magic trick, maybe full circle to the beginning of the episode. If you see a robot that can play soccer, that looks like magic. But there's no magic. It just detects where the ball is. It detects where things are. And it just makes a movement to make the ball move in a certain direction. There's no magic to that. It's very, very advanced, very sophisticated. But the robot is not going to think, oh, wait a second. If, if that person is going to move that way, I'm going to change my strategy and, and play a completely different game. Uh, this is not, we're not there at all at this point, not even a little bit. And so, so that, that's where we can once again see that evolution from something that uh, we'll, uh, per we'll perceive to be extremely advanced and the reality of how do we get to the next level and how these systems will evolve over time. What's interesting about that, and perhaps to, to cap the, this part of the conversation and, and start closing out, but what's interesting about the soccer example you just provided, there's no magic. It's just in, in taking data, it's then creating a plan to respond to the data, its surroundings. That's no different than what a human is doing, right? A human is taking in information from our sensors, right? Our eyes, our ears, our, you know, our, our other sensory uh, mechanisms, and we're computing our response and executing upon that response. And that brings us back to the entire thesis of what AI should be doing, which is to help humanity to improve day-to-day -day life, business operations, etc. It's not to replace humans, it's to augment and supercharge human decision-making and output. And when you put the frame of it's not magic on AI or on advanced robotics, it's really just doing what a human would be doing, but in a non-human element. And, and that to me is what's fascinating about AI. Absolutely, absolutely correct. And when you, you make the comparison with, with a human, the, it, this this is uh, the complexity is what makes the difference between a simple robot and what a human does. A robot will know I touched something or I didn't touch it. They won't know how it feels when you touch it. And and all of that information needs to be analyzed, stored, fed into the model, learned, and that's what makes up us as persons. And so you can imagine. You know that that's that's where by by just saying a few words you can immediately see order magnitude complexity bigger order magnitude complexity bigger and so that's how you know that even though we have exponential growth and and improvement right now with uh, technology 
it's going to take, there is still an exponential and order of magnitudes, uh, higher level of complexity that need to be achieved before we can perform these tasks at the, at the level a human does and then beyond. I think we cap it right there. That was, that was really, I think, expertly crafted and, and stated there that there is a way to go in many of these use cases, AGI, medicine, advanced robotics. But when you break it down to its most common denominator, it is all just input, compute, and output. Yeah. And that ties it all back to what we as humans are doing. We have an input, we have a compute, and we have an output. Absolutely. Well said. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I think we could talk about this, as you said earlier, all day. And yeah. <laughs> we've, we've talked about this for about an hour at this point. And I've written down uh, at least three further topics that I think will be spun off of today's conversation for follow-up episodes. So um, why don't we cap today's right here? Uh, I'll give you, you know, an opportunity for any closing thoughts or like final regards that you might want to add in. And um, we'll explore this conversation a little bit deeper um, in continuing episodes. Yeah, all, all I want to say maybe is that we, we talked a lot about the hype, we talked about magic, we talked about limitations and, and, and reality, and, and I think that uh, what's fascinating where we are today with, with AI is as a society, as, as um, uh, a, you know, uh, our, our, our race as humans, right, evolve, uh, let's be mindful of the reality of the limitations, but let's not let's not stop dreaming about where all of this amazing evolution can take us. I absolutely love that sentiment. Well, this was a fantastic and very um, informative and fun conversation as always, and um, I'm excited to see where this wave takes us. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. All right. We'll see you next week.